Romans 1, 16, read one verse and we'll, we'll try to preach to you a message tonight about the assurance of your salvation. And if you're in here and you're saved, I hope you're not doubting your salvation. But if you are doubting your salvation, I hope, I hope that uh, you can get that thing corrected. So let's take a look at this. Romans 1, 16, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Excuse me. Now, if you don't believe, it's still the power of God, but it's not the power of God to salvation. It would be the power of God to damnation. That same gospel that God issued to take you to heaven, if you just simply believe, will be that same gospel that God will use to take you in the opposite direction if you don't believe. Uh, Paul made reference, I believe it was in 1 Corinthians, I might be, might be 2 Corinthians, but he said, uh, he said, in the day that God will judge the secrets of men according to my gospel. See, God pull out that standard of the gospel and hold that right up next to folks, and that'll be what he uses to judge you. That's very, very intense. All right, Lord, we thank you for your goodness tonight, Lord. And God, I, I know, Lord, that I said some things, God, that may have put maybe a little bit of a dark cloud over the, the atmosphere of the church. But God, in my heart, Lord, I'm not depressed, God. I, Lord, I, I've ne I don't know that I've been so encouraged as I have been this past week. God, I got victory in my soul. I'm saved and on my way to heaven, God, knowing that, Lord, this... This life, as bad as it may get, God, I've got something far better, far better waiting for me on the other side. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to take comfort in you, in salvation, in the rapture of the church. God, Lord, pray that you'd help us, Lord, to give ourselves to you and just trust you. Lord, I believe, God, Lord, that you're trustworthy. God, you've never failed us one time. Don't believe you'll start now. So, God, I pray, Lord, bless us tonight, God, as we look into the scriptures. God, I do pray that you'd minister to the hearts of the folks that are here and those that are listening at home or wherever they might be. God, if there's some soul, Lord, that's struggling with their salvation of whether or not they're saved, God, I pray that you'd make the thing clear to them. God, give them an answer on how they can understand and know that they have been born again. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, let me say first and foremost that salvation is not something that has to be attained it is not something that has to be reached it is something that has to be received that's what salvation is can I get a little bit of an agreement out of you from that all right so that that is that is what salvation is it's a gift it's not something that you work for it is, it is something that is given to you freely by the merits of what Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary. All you have to do is believe it and receive it. You've got to take it by faith. Uh, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And when you're talking about believing, it's not just believing that Jesus exists. Catholics do that. There's a lot of different denominations that do that. But that won't, that's not necessarily what it is. If you believe that Jesus Christ was, if you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, He was the virgin-born Son of God, that's great. You've got a head start on the Jehovah's Witness because they don't. But you've got a head start on a lot of different cults and sects, but it, does, it just, that's not going to cut it. What really matters is that you believe that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. On top of that, you've got to believe that, okay, well, I believe that Jesus Christ died for the world. Well, what about you? Did he die for you? If the answer to that is yes, and that is what you're trusting to justify you in the sight of God, that's salvation. The Holy Spirit of God moves in, regenerates you. You are now, once you were dead in deed and trespasses and sins, but now you've been made alive. You've been quickened by the Spirit of God with the seed of the Word of God. You've been born again. That is salvation. You've got to believe that what Jesus Christ did for you is enough to pay the debt of your sins. Do you believe that? Is that what you're trusting in to get you to heaven? Okay, that's salvation. That's salvation, not something to be attained. 
It's not something that you're ever going to attain to. Try. Paul said, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you called. Right? So you're supposed to try, but it doesn't mean that you're going to attain that. So if you get somewhere down in your life and you're walking through this mentality to where, well, man, I just certainly don't feel saved. Welcome to the club. Welcome to being a Christian. <clears throat> it's a day-to-day it's -day thing. Paul, the chief of Christians, the very best of us, he reckoned himself as the chief of sinners. He said in Romans chapter 7, he said, those things that I hate, those are the things that I do. And he said, the things that I know that are right to do and the things that I want to do that are right, he said, I don't do those things. I've heard somebody say that that's not Christian experience. If that's not Christian experience coming out of Paul the Apostle's mouth, I'm not sure what is. I'm not saying that you're justified in sinning. You're not justified and you're not okay in that you're just going off and doing whatever you want to do. But that's, that's the way it is because you've got two things inside that are at war against each other. Listen, before you ever trusted Christ as your Savior, you never had that war, did you? Did you? You might have something in the back of your mind saying, you know you wasn't supposed to be doing that. But that's largely your conscience, which is largely influenced by your raisin. Well, now on top, listen, now on top of your conscience, now you've got the Holy Spirit inside who is really the motor of that conscience in the Christian. He's that engine. He is that person that provides the power and the force to that conscience. And so now when you do something that you're not supposed to do, boy, it just about eats your lunch. I, I was saved at a young age. I do some things now that I never did before I got saved. But I don't enjoy them. At the moment, yeah, man, a lot of fun. But boy, in about five or ten minutes, it doesn't take 24 hours. Just give it about five or ten minutes and let the conviction come rolling through. Oh, well, that's a wonderful sign. That's a, that's a wonderful sign that, hey, man, there's, there's a warfare going on inside. And so the thing that you have to look at in regards to the assurance of your salvation is, did God mean what he said when he said it? Did God tell you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Did he tell you? Okay, then did he mean it? Okay, if he meant it, then are you going to just take him at his word or aren't you? Now listen, if you don't take him at his word, you're, you're charging God with lying. So really, a preacher shouldn't stand up here and take a nice, soft, cuddly attitude towards you if you're doubting your salvation. He should really rake you over the coals. Right? Because you're charging God with lying when really what's going on is your feelings are lying to you. And you don't have enough character to trust what God says in spite of what you feel. Now, I, I, I don't say that without empathy. I understand what it's like to mess up and boy, really get in a situation to where you feel bad. And because of that, you start thinking, well, man, maybe I'm lost. But at the end of the day, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that true or isn't it? Okay, then if it is, you've got to take him at his word, else you're, you're saying that God's a liar. God's not the liar. You are. That's why you came to him. So a preacher that approaches you, listen, a preacher that approaches you, if you're doubting your salvation, a preacher that approaches you with a tender attitude, you better be very appreciative of that. Really, because that's really going beyond what you should be getting. You should be getting a paddling. Hey, what you doubting God for? Listen to me, I'm really trying to help you. And I believe if you pay attention, it'll help you. What do you what do you doubt in your salvation for? Well, Brother Nathan, I just I, I don't know how somebody could do the stuff that I do and be saved. You mean like David, the man who was a man after God's own heart and committed Bathsheba and then killed her husband to cover up with it? He committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed her husband to cover. Okay. How about Rahab the harlot? 
How about Samson? I just don't think somebody could do the stuff that I do and be saved. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll agree with you. <laughs> I think there's some stuff that Christians do that there ain't no way that they could be saved. But it doesn't matter how I feel about it. What matters is what did God say in his book? Did you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you, are you trusting in what Christ did for you at Calvary to justify you in the sight of God? Okay, then what am I going to say? Uh, we got a, I got a different message. I'm going to preach it more along those lines out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, Paul is addressing the issue of fornication in the church. And you get around some folks and say, oh, I just don't believe somebody could fornicate and be saved. Well, I grant you it ain't right. It's wicked. It's ungodly. It'll kill a church. But, buddy, you can do a lot worse stuff than that and still be saved. I just don't believe that. I know that's because you're a super spiritual Pharisee. You're a jackleg who doesn't know the scripture. You didn't, you didn't do nothing to get saved. How are you going to do something to stay saved? You know me. Preach that you're supposed to do right, man. You're supposed to give yourself to the Lord. But that's not what gets you saved. The problem where we're at is I think some folks are counting on what they're doing to get them saved, folks in church. So that, that's a big problem. So the question of whether you doubt in your salvation or not really comes down to is God a liar? And if he isn't, who is? And it ain't the Lord. It's you. <laughs> You're the liar. So let me give you three possibilities of why you don't have assurance of salvation, okay? You ready? You ready? All you eager faces in here. You ready? All right, here we go. First of all, here's number one possibility why you don't have any assurance of salvation. It's because you're not saved. That's number one possibility. We can't mark that out. The possibility is that you're lost. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, I'll turn over there and read it to you very quickly. The Bible says the Spirit itself, the Spirit itself, that's not a mistranslation. The Bible says that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, in the verse before it, he says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of, the adopt, of, of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, that adoption, if you study that term, and I'm not talking about in a stupid Greek lexicon. Listen, some of you folks can't even speak English. Please don't turn to a Greek lexicon. Amen. Stick with the English. Learn English. Get a dictionary. Praise the Lord. God will help you understand it. So when I say study the word adoption, pull out a concordance and look at it. Look at it. Adoption is what is the redemption of the body. Verse 23, he says at the end of the verse, waiting for the adoption to wit, that is the redemption of the body. That's when your body is redeemed. Right now, your, your soul and your spirit are saved. They're redeemed. But your body is not. Your body is as lost as... And as, it's as wicked as it ever has been. If you want a test in that, tell it to come to church after you've worked a 12-hour day. Oh, no, I, I got to take a nap. No, go to church. No, you'll have the biggest fight on your hands. You just thought all those fights with your wife and your husband was bad. That ain't got nothing. That ain't nowhere near compared to the fight that you'll have with your flesh. Well, see, he's talking about that. He's talking about that spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. See, there's something in your heart that looks forward to the rapture. And listen, a lot of preachers don't preach on the rapture no more. God help us. God forgive us for that. That's a problem. A lot of preachers don't preach on that stuff no more. And so people don't think about it very often. And I, if that's your case, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about to somebody that's sitting there and somebody mentions the rapture and there's something in your heart that strikes terror saying, I'm not ready. That's a problem. That shouldn't be. It could be that you're carnal and that you're holding on to the things of this world. It could be that you're saved and just carnal and therefore you have no anticipation for the rapture. But we'll get to that here in just a second. But the thing is, is that if there is somewhere deep down in your heart no delight in the rapture, that's make you ask some questions. It'll make you ask some questions. Uh, not saying I'm going to ask the questions. I'm saying you should do a checkup. Examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Right? Okay. So he says, but he says the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit 
that we are the children of God. And so the Spirit of God, one of his offices, one of the things that he does is he gets down into the heart of a man, into the spirit of a man, and he communicates with man's spirit, and he bears witness. That spirit of man says, yes, I'm born again. And the Spirit of God gets in there and says, yes, you're born again. He's witnessing. When somebody gets on trial, they call witnesses to the stand, and they give an account of the facts that they've seen or the facts that they know. They're an expert witness. They can give information that's valuable to the case. Well, what you have here in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, is the expert witness. The expert witness takes what Jesus Christ did at Calvary, and he appropriates it to you. He makes it applicable to your life. And so when he does that, when he does that, there's something that resonates in the heart of man that says, boy, I'm saved. Man, thank God I'm saved. Not something that you feel. It's not something that you feel. It's something, it's a, it's a, it's a knowledge. It's an assurance. It's an assurance. So that's one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have assurance of your salvation, it's possible. Not saying that it is the case. It is possible, though, that you're not saved. Uh, I'm beginning to believe, I take that back, I've believed for a while that one of the problems that we have in churches all across the United States, I know this to be the case, and it, I think it's becoming more so in independent Baptist churches, the problem that we have is that people do not, they're not saved. People that have made professions of faith have not gotten saved. They've been sitting in church their whole life. They've been raised in church. They've been baptized. They know all of the spiritual lingo. That's a danger for kids raised in church. You know all the right words, and you know what's expected of you, and that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Conformity is not salvation. Just because you do what the preacher asks you to do or you volunteer for some activity, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're saved. That should be something that comes as a product of your salvation. But that is not what saves you. And so you get, what happens is you get two folks that are drunks or drug druggies or whatever, just lost folks. Some preacher comes to them and witnesses to them and tells them that they need to be saved. And so they get saved. They get in church. God really does a work in their life. And then they start having kids. And their kids are raised in church and maybe they genuinely get saved too. And then the grandkids come along. And the grandkids have parents that have been raised in church, which is where I'm at. That's where my generation is at, by the way. I'm not a second-generation Christian. I'm a third-generation Christian. And so here you have all of these grandkids that are in church now with or without their grandparents, with or without their parents, but they're third-generation, quote-unquote, Christians, and they're not Christians at all. They're lost. But because they're serving in the church, because they're doing this and because they're doing that, not saved. Uh, I was telling Brother Tommy a couple of weeks ago about Daniel Waters, and uh, Brother Daniel Waters, is, I consider him to be a friend of mine, although I haven't talked to him in quite some time. Brother Daniel Waters was raised in a Christian home, and he got involved in singing at a very, very young age, four, five, six years old, somewhere around there, and he's a pretty good singer. And uh, he went to a meeting with uh, Brother Mark, I think in Oklahoma, if I remember correctly. And he was singing with a college group, uh, a Bible college group, if I have my facts right. And he was singing with this Bible college group, and he got in this group. And when they went to the revival meeting, they didn't even take their Bibles. And so they got there in the meeting. This is Daniel Waters. I don't know if you know him or not, but uh, they got into the meeting, and Brother Mark called them out for it. I said, boys, where's your Bibles? You don't even come to church with Bibles anymore? And you're in a Bible college? Started making fun of them. Brother Mark preached. Daniel Waters got saved. 18, 19, 20 years old. Been raised in church his whole life. Got saved. Thinking of a lady right now whose husband was a pastor. Uh, Brother Charlie Tenney, if I remember correctly. Uh, up A pastor up in West Virginia. He uh, was pastoring church. Brother Mark went up there and preached at the church. And his, Brother Charlie's wife, but Charlie's a big old fella. Brother Charlie probably weighs about 400 pounds and is about 6'4". And uh, Miss, I forget her name. I think it might have been Miss Janet. Miss Janet's a short old lady. Miss Janet's probably 5'2", 
and looks like a stream bean. You think I'm skinny? Miss Janet's skinnier than I am. She came up running to the altar, and Miss D went down, Brother Mark's wife went down to deal with her and said, what, what's the matter? She said, I need to be saved. Brother Charlie been pastoring for 15 years. You just don't know. You just don't know anymore. And, you know, if you say you're saved, there's nothing that I can say that you're not. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dare imply about that thing, but I wouldn't dare say that you're not. If you say that you are, that's between you and the Lord. But what I am saying is that if you can't get assurance of your salvation, that's a possibility. That's poss not the only one, but it is a possibility. John chapter 4, verse 14, let me read you a verse of Scripture. Jesus Christ is sitting down with the woman at Samaria, and he says, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So the idea is that when a man gets saved, there's supposed to be something that's in him that comes out. You remember those old-fashioned wells? Some of you folks <clears throat> remember a little bit better than the rest of us, but you remember those old-fashioned wells to where you'd grab that handle and you'd start pumping, and here come the water? There's something that you had to do oftentimes before you could ever get that thing out. What'd you have to do? You had to prime it, right? You know what you did? You take a little bit of water, and you pour that in there, and then you start pumping. And what it does, I, I believe what it does is it creates a vacuum. I may have my facts wrong about that. won't be the first time nor the last. But I'm trying not to be wrong because I'm a preacher. Preachers can't afford to be wrong. Nonetheless, but I can afford to be wrong about how a well works. I just can't afford to be wrong about how the Bible works. But anyways, you take that old handle and you start pumping. After you pour some of that water down in there, you start pumping. And here comes this water, comes right out. Voila, here it goes. Now let me ask you something. What would you think about a well that you put more water into than you got out of it? That's a problem, ain't it? You know what I'd do? I'd go dig a new well. I'd leave that one alone. Well, you know what's going on in a lot of churches? It gets dead in church. People get dead. There's no life. Don't, get, don't see a smile or don't see somebody shaking their head. And you sit back and you go, well, what's going on? You say, it's because you're a dead preacher. Well, what's that got to do with anything? You're the well. You've got the well inside you. Where's your water? How come I have to, how, how come I have to keep putting water in you to get a smile or a nod or an amen out of you? I'll tell you what's wrong. What's, what's a very good possibility you don't have no well. It's an empty hole. You know that's what a dried out well is. It's just a long shaft with a hole at the bottom that's empty. There's nothing in there. You need the Spirit of God to move inside, and then what will happen is somebody will come grab your arm and start going like this, and you might start flying away. No, you start putting out some water. Let God get a hold of your heart, and like Mays Jackson used to say, He'll squeeze your heart and the juice will run out your eyes. That's right, man. That's right. And you don't have to be in a church service for that to take place. People have different ways of manifesting how God is blessing them on the inside. Some folks scream and holler. Some folks cry and laugh. And people do different things. But sooner or later, the heat gets turned up on the inside and something starts bubbling over. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And if the preacher, listen to me, listen to me, you folks that are listening to me, if the preacher constantly has to stir you up, quote, unquote, if the preacher constantly has to work something up out of you, you have a problem. Are you saying we're not saved? I'm not saying anything. All I'm saying is it's the possibility I believe that's what's going on in a lot of churches. That's why folks come and are not interested in Bible doctrine. See, you're interested. You're interested in preaching so long as the preacher is running laps around the pulpit, but the moment that he gets up and starts preaching a solid, straight, doctrinal, doctrinal Bible sermon, what's the problem? 
Isn't there something with what's being said that resonates with you? Not the preacher. It's not the preference of the preacher. You know, it's not your preference of the preacher, rather. It's not that, well, I just like somebody more dynamic, and I like somebody more lively. You have taste for horse manure. That's why you have to turn to the Scripture and let the Bible get you straightened out. I got more chuckles out of that little statement than I have all night. Praise the Lord. Making sure you're still alive. You see what I'm saying, though? I, I, I know. I know. I believe the Lord get a hold of you. See, what a lot of Christians are looking for is they're not looking for salvation. You do realize that salvation, I, I know you realize this. Let me make this statement. Salvation is the foundation. It's the crux of everything that we believe. You, you got that? So everywhere where we go, we start with salvation and build up. We start with the gospel and we build up. And so every time the gospel is preached, I'm not saying that you're going to cry your eyes out. I'm not, go, I'm not saying that you're going to hoop and holler. But when the gospel is preached, when the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is preached, there should be something in your heart saying, yeah, boy, that's right. There should be something in your heart that's going, yeah, yeah. But see, what a lot of Christians are looking, or what a lot of professing Christians are looking for is not salvation. What they're looking for is Prozac. You're looking for a God that's going to numb your nerves so that you can live a mindless life and just coast through this thing without having to deal with the kind of stuff that you're dealing with right now. It's not going to happen. You know what God will do in a situation like where you're at right now? God will give you the grace to get through it with a smile on your face and cheer in your heart. That's salvation. Praise the Lord. Salvation. It's salvation. Now listen, I will say this to balance this out and then we'll move on because I've spent quite a bit of time here, but I believe I needed to. I will say this. A lot of folks really are saved. And they've gotten so carnal that they've buried that salvation, so to speak. They've buried it over with a bunch of trash. And so now the well is still there. The well is still there, so to speak. But there's a bunch of dirt in there. When Abraham, I forget where it was, where he went, he came through and he dug some wells. And then when Isaac came through, he came through and he found out that the Philistines had stopped the wells that his daddy had dug. And so he went through and redug them. Well, it didn't do away with the well. It didn't mean that the well wasn't existent anymore. It didn't mean that there wasn't any water there. It just meant that somebody had come by and put a bunch of trash in there. That's what happens with some Christians. Some Christians are genuinely saved, but they subject themselves to wicked influences day in, day out, news media, Hollywood, radio programs, Sean Hannity, you say, what are you doing? You're pouring in the dirt. And so why should you be cheerful? Why should you be happy? You've got your mind. Bible tells you in the book of Colossians, set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. And so here you go as a Christian, you go out listening to all this stuff. Well, Brother Nathan, we've got to have a way to keep in touch with everything that's going on on the outside. You have to spend three hours doing that, do you? You know how long it took me to find out what Governor Kemp's news was? It took me, five, it took me 10 minutes. Takes you, takes you an hour to sit down and catch up on everything, does it? All you're doing is you're open. Do what you want to. I'm just trying to tell you how to have some joy. You're opening up your brain, you're opening up your mind, and you're letting the world pour the trash in. Has anybody taken me up on my offer of doubling your Bible reading? Oh, man. It'll help you. It'll help you. It's much better. Now, let me say, first possibility is you're not saved. Second possibility is that you're just simply walking after the flesh. Uh, look in Galatians chapter 5. Going to look at a little bit of Scripture here. We'll try to get through this as quickly as we can. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, look in verse 16. 
Galatians chapter 5, look in verse 16. The Bible says, uh, Then I say, this I say, then walk in the flesh, and ye shall not, I'm sorry, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So there's a consistent, constant battle in your heart that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. That old, unregenerate part of you that you still have, that part of you that is not saved yet, but will be saved in the future at the rapture. Uh, your, Your body, your flesh, not saved yet. And that part of you struggles and strives against the spirit. And so what Paul is telling you here is he says, listen, if you'll make a concerted effort, a concentrated effort to just walk after the Spirit, do spiritual things, mind the Spirit of the Lord, if you'll do that, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right? Let me give you an example of that. You know how easy it is for me to fight with my wife? It's pretty easy. You know how I can cut out... You say... Brother Nathan, you shouldn't do that. You're right, I shouldn't, but we're people. Okay, anyways, I'm just trying to get you to loosen up there a little bit. But not, anyhow, that went over about like a lead balloon. Anyways, you know how I avoid, listen, you know how you can avoid fighting with your wife? Let me give you some marriage advice. You know how you can avoid fighting with your wife? Buy her some roses every chance you get. Of course, that might cause more fights with some of you ladies. <laughs> Don't buy me no flowers. I tell you what, go buy a brand spanking new GMC Yukon. How's that? Ladies? Okay. All right, one. Oh, well. (laughs) I tried. You see what I'm saying? What you're doing is you're making up your mind to do the right thing or do something. And really, in a sense, what it does is it ties you up to where you don't have no time to be fussing and fighting. If you're busy complimenting her, listen, if you're busy complimenting her and telling her how much you appreciate her, I'm not talking about being unrealistic, and this is just an illustration, by the way, but if you're busy telling her how much you appreciate her and complimenting her, it's kind of hard to be fussing and fighting with her all the time. Okay, well, the same on the same concept, use that as an illustration, as a springboard, the same concept Listen, if you're reading your Bible and you're praying and you've got so much spiritual work that you have to do throughout the course of a day, it's really hard to find time to look at things you shouldn't look at. It's It's not rocket science. If you take your time to do what's right, hey, get out and work a job. It's really hard to find time to be listening to stuff you have no business listening to. That's right. So he says, walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 18, but if you be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies. You see that heresies? That's a work of the flesh. That's a work of the flesh. That's something interesting to note because heresy is also a product of unclean spirits, of principalities and powers working in your mind. God will turn unclean spirits loose. God will turn spirits loose, I should say, and send you a lying spirit like God sent to Ahab. But Paul charges it with a work of the flesh. I'd really hate to have some common ground with a, with a wrong spirit. <clears throat> something that you should study. But anyways, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, from here, I just want to use one little situation out of this verse. Look here in Acts chapter 8. So we're going from Galatians chapter 5 to Acts chapter 8. And let's take a look at one story, one situation of a fella that dealt with this thing of witchcraft, which the Bible says is a work of the flesh. Acts chapter 8, verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. Now, praise the Lord. That's a great verse to start on. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before in the same city used sorcery. Well, there it is. That's magic. That's Harry Potter. That's Star Wars, folks. I recommend you leave that stuff alone. 
and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. Why is it, can I ask you a question? Why is it that people get taken up with that kind of foolishness, with witchcraft, so much more than they get taken up with truth? People will flock to the movie theaters to watch the latest episode, the latest release of Star Wars. But when it comes to going to a Bible-believing church where the book is emphasized and where the truth is preached, it's like pulling hen's teeth to get people to come. Why is that? Things obviously haven't changed very much. Some guy, listen, some guy will stand up and start bewitching people with sorcery. That's magic. He'll start bewitching people and people will say, this guy's got the power of God on his life. What? That's like some Christian celebrities getting up in our local churches and singing songs with some really tight harmony. And people standing around saying, Boy, they got the touch of God on their life. Wearing those skirts. Got their ears pierced up here. No, no, no. You don't have the power of God. Sorry, you're full of the devil. (laughs) Wow. Uh -uh. Let me tell you something. I have sat in my office back here and listened to a group that was down in Callahan whose daddy was a pastor. Uh, It was two girls and a boy. And I found them. The way that I found them is because I was cruising bluegrass on YouTube. And I was listening to this fella sing. And they had his name in the about section under the YouTube video. And I thought, man, that guy can sing. Wasn't singing a Christian song, by the way. Wasn't necessarily a wicked song, but it wasn't Christian. Something about daddy up on the mountain in a cab I don't I don't remember something stupid I sat I said boy that guy can sing and he could still can typed his name in on YouTube here pops up him and his sister singing buddy you want to talk about some good singing good singing come find out their daddy was a pastor down in Callahan these are the three kids that are now traveling the United States one of the sisters is in Nashville they sang a song. They sang uh, Right Side of Calvary. If you ever want to be on the right side of Calvary. And man, they sang. And I sat in my office and cried. <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. And then turn over another video and watch this girl sitting here having an interview with a fella who's about three times her age and he's flirting with her. And she's eating it up. power of God not hardly somebody sing with some tight harmonies listen to me somebody sing with some tight harmonies that's wonderful if you're singing listen if you're singing for the glory of God with a clean heart and a pure life praise the Lord sing with all the tight harmony that you can but listen you can get a rise out of a crowd with good music with good sounding music go to a rock concert all them people think it's good music I don't uh, go listen to Leonard Skinner. Listen to them fellas bend them strength. Uh, people love that. They eat that stuff up. And those are the same. Listen, Christian people are the same kind of jacklegs that'll go to a rock concert like that and say, yeah, awesome. And then they'll come into the church and they'll say, yeah, the power of God. It's not any different. It's the same thing that's going on. What you fall in love with is not the power of God. What you fell in love with was how, was how good it sounds. And you know that in the rock cert, you go, yeah, radical, rock on. And you know in church, you go, amen, hallelujah, power. It's a farce. It's a farce, it's a farce, it's a farce, it's a farce.
That's a God's honest truth. That's a God's honest truth. We got a bunch of Christian celebrities. All right, I spent about five minutes too long there. This man is the great power of God. Is he really? No. And to him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and were baptized in the, and, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he, baptized, when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now listen, did he believe? Did he believe? Was he baptized? So he's saved, right? Okay, watch this. Uh, verse 18. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the, hands of, of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. And Peter said, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Did he believe? Was he baptized? Is he saved? Well, what about here? <laughs> Peter said, thy money perish with thee. Now listen, you go on and you read the rest of the passage. It's apparent that when Peter is talking here, he's talking about, hey, that perishing is talking about this life. I believe it's talking about this life. But buddy, the, the scripture words it in such a way to where you step back and you wonder, man, did that guy really get saved or not? What's the problem? He's still messing around with, with, with witchcraft. It's just a different source of power now. Hey, this man's the great power of God. He's had that for so long. Now he gets saved and he sees these apostles laying hands on people and they're receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, pulls out his wallet. Hey, how much money can I give you so that you can give me this power? And Peter said, you got the wrong idea about God. You're not going to use God to support your own wicked ends. That's a principle of witchcraft. I'm going to use principalities and powers to work my ends. No, you're not. You're not going to do that with the Lord. So you get here in Acts chapter 8 in this particular spot here at the end of the section where it talks about him, and it kind of makes you wonder whether the guy really got saved or not. I believe the Lord did that on purpose. Because if you keep walking after the flesh, which is what witchcraft is, Galatians chapter 5, you keep walking after the flesh, you're going to start doubting your salvation. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Look in verse 1. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Is there condemnation? No. The answer is no. Well, to who? To them which are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Okay, praise the Lord. There's no condemnation, right? What's the next verse? What's the next part of the verse say? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You get saved. Listen, you trust Christ as your Savior. There's no condemnation as far as you go into hell. But you get saved and start walking after the, after the flesh, and there's going to be an element of condemnation in the back of your heart saying, something's wrong. Something's wrong with you. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to lose your assurance of salvation. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. That sealing unto the day of redemption, that's tied with your eternal security. That is the, that's tied into the doctrine that teaches that once you're saved, you're always saved. Well, who's responsible for that sealing? The Holy Spirit, right? Okay, well, that Holy Spirit that is responsible for that sealing, for that making sure that you are kept eternally secure, that Holy Spirit can be grieved. Sit down and talk to your wife, and so long as there's good fellowship, man, there's a great relationship, man, you have lots of fun, it's wonderful to be around, then grieve her. It doesn't mean that she gets a divorce, it doesn't mean that she packs up and leaves, it doesn't mean that she goes anywhere, but try to have fellowship with her then. Try to have her favor then. Try to have the assurance that she loves you. 
You say, why? You grieved her, stupid. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you grieved him. I just don't feel saved. Could be because you're, because you're lost. It could be because you've just grieved the Spirit of God. And it's not that God left, but it's that God's not talking to you no more. Amen. Okay. One more, I'll cut you loose. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. So the first possibility is that you're not saved. That is a possibility. But it's also possible that you are saved and you're just walking after the flesh. That's a possibility. Then there is a possibility that you're saved, but you've forgotten that you're saved because you're not growing. That's, that's a very good possibility. Looking for 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers, partakers. Lord have mercy, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now listen, I don't know of two verses that are really a better treatise on what happens at salvation than those two verses right there. In those two verses, man, is a wealth of information of what really happens to you at salvation. But that's not where your salvation starts or stops. Look at what he says in verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence... Add, add, add. So it's a process of growth. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance patience, to patience godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, there's got to be more and more of it. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of, G of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's on one side. On one side is fruitfulness. Well, what's on the other side? Verse 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Listen, it's not in the middle. There is no middle ground. You're on one side of that equation or the other. You're on the side of fruitfulness or you're on the side of where you've forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. Those are the only two options in this passage. If these things be in you and abound... You won't be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you like these things, you're, you're blind and can't see afar off, you're forgotten. Possibility is that you're still saved. I, I, not, I'm sorry. If, you're say, if you got saved, you are still saved. Possibility is that you did get saved. It's just that you have no assurance of it because you never did anything with it. Listen. Let me give you this illustration, and I'll, go, I'll let you go because I've gone a little bit farther than I really wanted to. Let me take a look here make sure. Uh, let me make a couple comments. In this passage, in this passage, the thing where you get from the place of salvation to the place of growth, it requires character. Verse 5, beside this, giving all diligence, steady application to any work. That's a labor. It's hard. Listen, it, it is difficult to start something and finish it. It's very easy. It's very easy to start something and stop. It takes character to start it and finish it. That's what you've got to do with salvation. Christ will take you all the way to the end, but you've got to be a willing participant of it. Trust Christ as your Savior. The foundation is laid, but as far as your personal sanctification and the building here in this life, that's something that you've got to be a willing participant in. Now listen, a lot of folks know the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, according as his divine power, verse 3, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Well, you have that. You know the Lord. Don't you? Don't you? Does anybody know the Lord? You know the Lord, don't you? Okay, you've trusted Christ, you know the Lord. Okay, well, you, because you know the Lord, you've gotten all things that pertain to life and godliness. So what's the deal? <clears throat> I have sitting out there, you drove the truck, right? I have sitting out there a 2008 GMC 1500. I forget what it's got under the hood, a 5.4, 5.7, I don't, 5.3, okay? Nice. 
When I went to go buy that truck, I knew what the guy was asking. I knew at the time what was under the hood. I, I, knew, I knew the truck. When I bought it, I knew the truck. It's nice. But I didn't know it like I knew it when I got it on the road in front of my house, pulling out, coming to church one day, and floored the gas pedal. Then I found out some more about it. You know what I did? I took that knowledge that I had, and I put it in application. Well, I know this thing's got a 5.3 underneath the hood. Let's see what it can do. And that thing got out from underneath itself. Well, see, what you've got, listen, what you've got by virtue of being born again is you've got the power of God living inside of you. But some of you folks are never going to find out if you don't apply it. Just put the pedal on the metal and, and just watch what God can do. Some of you folks are real discouraged about what's going on in this, in this current situation here in the United States. And it is, it is pretty bleak. It is kind of discouraging. Uh, I've got to sit at house for two weeks. Lord, have mercy. Get outside and work. For that matter, if you're not sick, go, go help Brother Pedro. Brother Pedro's got about a 500-acre garden. He'll put you to work on his plantation. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but nonetheless, nonetheless, I went out to Brother Pedro's house the other day uh, asking him a couple of questions. I looked out there and saw his garden. I thought, man, hmm, he's a busy fella. Praise the Lord. But you know what's going on? Some of you got the power of God resting in your bosom. And you really, you know, you hear a preacher stand up and scream and holler about that stuff, but you don't know what the power of God can do because you've never applied it. You stand up and watch a preacher holler about how that prayer can really change things and how God can do things by if you just pray and you hear the testimonies of people that pray and pray and pray and you don't, all you know is their testimonies because you've never done it and you've never had God answer any of your prayers. If you have, it's been so long since you've done it, you don't remember what God's answered. Amen. Hey, are you saved? Come on. Get busy. Amen. Amen. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. Lord, went quite a bit longer than I had wanted to, but I thank you, God, for the good spirit and good attention here tonight. God, pray that you'd bless the folks that are here. God, bless the folks that are home that have tuned in. God, pray that you'd help us, God, Lord, in the midst of all this stuff going on in the country. God, pray that you'd deal with our hearts. Speak to us, God. And, uh, Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. You're dismissed. <laughs>